Produced by Boston University's Metropolitan College, welcome to MetMake's Conversation, where knowledgeable faculty lend perspectives in leading substantive discussions on matters of the day. Hello, I'm Mary Ellen Masterelli, Associate Professor of the Practice and Chair of the Department of Applied Social Sciences. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Assistant Professor Shea Cronin and Assistant Professor Danielle Rousseau, and we're here to reflect upon and discuss the state of criminal justice amid calls for reform and racial accountability in law enforcement. Mary Ellen, uh, BU Met is a leader in the field of criminal justice education and criminal justice in our country faces a profound time. We see calls of systematic racism. We see the effect of mass incarceration, militarization of the police, police brutality, and calls to reallocate police funding and even defund the police. We at Met Criminal Justice seek to understand these issues in a scientific way. And I'd like to understand how you approach leadership in the criminal justice during this time. Thanks for that great question, Shay. There are several ways to approach criminal justice reform from the perspective of leadership in the field. First, leaders must listen to those who've been most impacted by the failures of the criminal justice system. We know who they are. They're Blacks, Latinx, women and men who live in poverty, those who live in neighborhoods that are over-policed. The murder of uh, George Floyd is nothing new, but it was the breaking point. Secondly, culture change is needed inside our police departments and prisons. And culture change doesn't happen by policy, directive, memo. It is far more difficult and complicated than that. Culture change happens when there's a resocialization of the agency that begins with hiring, then moves on to basic training, and from there, field supervision, all the way up to who gets promoted and why. Woven throughout this process is transparency, accountability, and bold leadership. That's a great question. It's an important one during this time. I think the first thing to realize is that this is really nothing new to us as a program. It's something that our field and our program has always wrestled with, and it's something that we paid very close attention to. Uh, issues of fairness, questions of discrimination, and other social justice issues are central to conversations about how do we do justice in our society. And then I think the second thing to know about the program is that when we think of doing justice in a democratic society, issues of fairness, discrimination have to take center stage. And anybody who is going to be a professional within or around the criminal justice system has to understand these issues. They have to understand the contemporary practices about how best to deal with them. Uh, and some of those reforms work very well and others need more further adjustment. Uh, and then finally, that we really let the, the, the social science and field experience guide our responses to these questions. So they're important to us, they're not new, and we let cutting edge research drive what recommendations we make. And because of that, we take um, conflicting worldviews, we take um, different experiences with the justice system a little bit out of the equation. These are important parts of the conversation, of course, but 
But as we teach our students that as professionals, as future leaders in the justice system, that they have to be uh, experts in issues of social justice and how best to deal with them. Absolutely true, Shay. Thank you. And I completely agree. One of the most important things is that this is what we offer is so empirically based, but also based in the experience of our faculty in the field, which I think is a wonderful combination. And these issues of social justice are woven throughout all of our courses. So it's not one course that stands out, but instead it becomes part of the fabric of every single course, whether that be a theory-based course or a methodology course or some kind of special topic. We're always looking at social justice issues and the importance of bringing about change in the field. And I think that that is really a strength of our program and particularly the way in which we call students to think critically about these issues. They're so relevant, so current, and the discussions that we have in these classes, in addition to assignments and, and work in the field, really just, I think, makes for such a rich analysis and call to action. Um, in relation to social justice. Thank you. I think that's all really important. And I think the fact that we have um, such a good deal of experience teaching students from a range of different backgrounds. We have folks that have been in law enforcement for many years. We have others who have had um, very difficult situations and experiences with the justice system. We have students that desperately want to reform the system to work better on both sides. And I think that that we, we foster an environment where conversations about this very challenging topic can be had thoughtfully and based on the research. Do you feel that the research we do in our field leads to change? Do you think that criminal justice field has done an adequate job of incorporating lessons offered by the research community into field practices? And finally, what more would you like to see done? Boy, these are, these are pretty um, significant questions. And I think something I hope that, that both of you can, can help shed light on some of this. And I, I do think that our field um, has had an impact on the quality of the justice system and sometimes in, in good ways, sometimes uh, pushing for practices that have improved the quality of the administration of justice and improved the quality of life of individuals out there. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the way we handle uh, sexual assaults, for example, is far improved than it was in the past, or domestic violence is far improved from the past, even recognizing that a lot of progress remains to be made in those areas. So I think it's a constantly an ongoing process. So we've We've changed things for the better. I think at times, um, some very impactful research has had negative repercussions on the justice system and the way it does business. Um, findings of those studies may have been perfectly valid at the time in which they were conducted, but they had a big impact on the field and the field maybe raced very quickly to adopting what they thought was very effective strategies without understanding the full scope of the impact it would have on communities and and thinking about them from um, a, a broader set of values than just how can the justice system be a more effective um, as a bottom line kind of criteria. Um, so 
the field has had, uh, I think, a lot of successes, and it has a lot of room to go. And it also has, has, I think, in some cases, had negative consequences. You know, I just think that the we have to keep working on these issues. Um, and that, for example, if 20 years ago, uh, and I guess, you know, we've been around for a little while now, uh, if you wanted to know what the disparity was in traffic stops in any community in Massachusetts, you wouldn't know that. There would be no way to find that out. And now pretty much every law enforcement organization largely across the country, collects that information, you know, with their most frequent contact that they have with the public. So when I think about that kind of experience, that, 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 that sort of little case study, there's probably a lot, of, lot that needs to happen in terms of managing that and reducing the disparities, but, but the idea that we now know kind of what it looks like with some at least flawed but solid data, is is one example where we've 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 pushed the ball forward at least, um, and I think that there's there's other examples that would would be similar. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Danielle, and then I'll jump in. Yeah, thanks. I was just going to say I completely agree with you, Shay. I I believe that there is a lot we still have to do and a long way to go. And I also think that research has informed many positive changes in the field as well. There, at least what I've seen in the field, there is a greater reliance on empirically based work and bringing in programs to institutions that do have some kind of empirical foundation, bringing in programs that we know work instead of just, you know, programs that you know, someone wants to start. So this, this drive to have an empirical foundation to what we're doing in the field, I think is an important step and has led to many positive impacts, including the integration of trauma-informed practices in criminal justice institutions and programs, which is such an important step. Also the recognition of, for example, substance use as a public health issue and an issue calling for treatment as compared to punishment, I think has really transformed the field or is in the process of being transformed. But, you know, that is rooted in good practice and in empirical data. So I think that we are headed in the right direction. And also there is still so much that we can do. Yes, I, I agree with that completely. And, and what I would like to add is that one of my concerns is that criminal justice organizations are political animals in many ways. And what I see happening is ideology trumps um, evidence. And I hope the field begins to move away from that. Let's face it, when we do research and publish our papers, we present our, our results to other academics at academic conferences. What I would like us to do as a field, as a, in terms of being academics in criminal justice, is create more partnerships with criminal justice agencies, work with the agencies and do research, and then present our findings to the practitioners and work with them on how to implement 
policies and programs based on what our findings tell us. And, you know, in, in the absence of um, doing that, I think we'll continue to have ideology trump evidence. You know, one of the example that I, one of the examples that I bring to my students' attention is the death penalty. The death penalty to federal prisoners uh, were executed in the past couple of weeks. The death penalty research has shown is ineffective as a deterrent. It, uh, executions are botched. Um, there are ethical issues uh, with the way we execute people. That is still being carried out, even though there is lots of evidence to show that it is a very, very flawed um, program. I think that point about ideology or, or worldview trumping evidence is, is, is very clear. And I think it's something that you just have to be very upfront about um, in the classroom. Like we, we all bring different sort of perspectives to any of these questions. And I do believe that it's possibly uh, a bigger issue within the justice system and, and criminal justice education because it's so fraught with moral and emotional sort of you know thinking because it's it it, it the, they are moral and 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 emotional issues you know um and so you just have to be cog you know aware of it so that you can you can at least be self-critical about kind of your point of view and that that includes us as faculty um and and students and try to let um good solid evidence lead the way and i think that's something that we've we try to push in all of our courses as with mass shootings we are as a society have become increasingly inert with the horrors of police brutality against black americans however george floyd's murder in the ensuing protests sparked widespread outrage that was in turn met by an exaggerated and shocking level of violence by the police why do you think that this flashpoint for change when there have been so many similar stories previously? Thanks, Danielle. I think this was a flashpoint because George Floyd's death was so cruel, so casual, and so unnecessary. All caught on video, with sound, without blurriness, for all the world to see over and over. We knew Breonna Taylor was killed during the execution of a search warrant, but we didn't witness it. Also, context matters. All of this was happening in the middle of a deadly pandemic with the federal government fanning the flames of racism and intolerance. In many ways, it was the perfect storm of horror that unleashed simmering frustrations and demands for reform. One of the amazing things about working and doing research and learning at Boston University is the depth of its expertise and the diversity of thought and engagement around issues of social justice and criminal justice across the entire university, from fields like public health to new centers like the Center for Anti-Racist Research under the guidance of Vibram X. Kendi. We are uh, really grateful to have an opportunity to have really one of the leading thinkers here at BU uh, during this difficult time. And our program in criminal justice really ought to seek out connections to 
centers like the Center for Anti-Racist Research to be thinking about new ways to reimagine the justice system in the current state of affairs. So Danielle and Mary Ellen, I wanna hear your thoughts about how we, you see that our program can make those connections and, and foster collaboration in research and learning across the university. Well, let me jump in here. I think um, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for all of us to uh, partner with um, Dr. Kendi's uh, research center. But even before we, we go that far, I think what we need to do is look at ourselves in terms of what anti-racism means to us first and really looking at our own white privilege um, that we've experienced as individuals, you know, really engaging in serious self-reflection first. Um, some examples, when I shop in a store, do I fear being followed? No. When I'm driving around uh, in an upper middle class neighborhood, do residents look at me with suspicion? No. These are just two small uh, examples. So we need to, and I think what this research center will give us, we need to examine white privilege and how our institutions are structured by considering racial disparities in healthcare, incarceration, education, property ownership, welfare policy and practice. So I think there's a lot of work to do there, but I think a very good first step is to read Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah, thank you, Mary Ellen. I think it's just such, of course, a tremendous opportunity to have Kendi coming to join us at BU now and the establishment of the Research Center will be a great tool for everyone throughout campus. And this is just a next step in an environment here at BU that has always encouraged collaboration across different colleges and departments. And there's so many opportunities for that collaboration, not only among faculty, but also students. I've had great experience working on projects with students from all over the university, different departments met and beyond. And so it's really exciting the potential for research and action that comes by thinking outside the box and thinking about the bigger BU community and how we can get involved and connect with other colleges and with other opportunities. And I think really the sky is the limit. Um, and students have the opportunity to very creatively get involved with anti-racism work, with creative change making, and really with being an active part of the institution. I think it's an amazing opportunity and, and it's something that we will, we will certainly take steps to make concrete over the next coming months. And it, it, it's something to be asking ourselves, as Mary Ellen said, to look inwardly at our program and think about how can we better produce anti-racist law enforcement professionals. And I think that all the time that I've been teaching, uh, a lot of times we would be thinking about how can we, how can we um, instill fairness within the justice system. And I think that we need leaders who are going to be more actively engaged in that. Uh, and not just the absence of not discrimination, but but, but purposefully and intensively um, being anti-racist in their jobs. Much of the discussion lately surrounding leadership practices in law enforcement is framed in terms that suggest with policing, unlearning is often as important as learning. 
in Met's strategic management program, you discussed the idea of plan change as a way to get away from policies driven by accidents and crises, but beyond educating ourselves as individuals, how do you think people can encourage meaningful plan change in their own organizations? And are some methods more commonly successful than others? Well, you know, I will say that bringing about meaningful plan change and even meaningful unplanned change, because unplanned change happens too in the criminal justice system, is really, really hard work. And it is important that we understand the nature of change, which is to say that people resist it, people fear it, and people will undermine it. A good first step um, is some of the criminal justice reform legislation that we're, that we're seeing um, happen, happening today. We're reading about it, you know, but the, the hard work really begins after new laws are reenacted. For example, in the eight can't wait movement, one of the reforms calls for the duty to intervene. This requires that an officer intervene and stop excessive force as it's happening and report it to a supervisor. This is a good idea, but how would a police department actually implement duty to intervene? Simply telling a fellow officer to do the right thing will not work. So officers need to be trained in alternative ways of thinking to encourage action. And there are curricula out there that do this very thing. One example is uh, a curriculum by the name of Words That Work. It's tackling ethical dilemmas in policing in ways that police officers can identify with. So it's taking these statutes that are ushering in criminal justice reform, and then it's doing the training um, that will support those um, reforms and doing the training in a way that officers can identify with, grasp, and appreciate. And then of course, because change is often resisted, there needs to be bold, courageous leadership that will hold people accountable. Yeah, Mary Ellen, I just wanted to just say a little bit about my, my experience in the classroom working with, with you know, a lot of justice system professionals and police courts and corrections and in other community-based organizations that, that um, we always, I try to push them to, to think of you know, a master's program in this field as a time, an opportunity for them to think very critically about the kind of work that their agencies do, the work that they've done, and to step out of the kind of day-to-day -day grind that they're involved in. And, and, and that means that they have to sort of step back and question what they're up to and um, to, to question the assumptions. And that's not a really easy thing to do in an organization that's been doing business the same way for a long time. And if you ask them, why do you do it that way? It's largely whether they say it directly or not, because that's how they've always been doing it. And a lot of bad practices become institutionalized because of that. And folks in a master's degree program are really tasked with trying to question it. And you may, you may arrive back at the practice that you are involved in if it has, you know, some legitimacy and validity out there in the world. But 
but you should at least be open to questioning um, how you do business and, and, and really taking those assumptions on. And Shay, I think one of the things that you're referring to is this, I call it the institutional theory of organizational change or organizational development. And the institutional theory of, of how organizations work comes from the idea that the public expects certain institutions to perform in a given way. So the public expects prisons to punish. Uh, the public expects police departments to um, control rioters and looters and anarchists. So I think the important thing that's happening today is that the public's thinking is beginning to change in terms of what the expectation is of our police departments and our prisons. You brought in a pretty high level of thinking here around, you know, institutional theory and stuff like that. But I think that that's part of what separates out uh, an undergraduate education from a master's degree in our field. And a lot of students might be asking, why do I need to learn about, you know, certain organizational theories about how they operate, you know? And I, you know, I tell them because it'll help you understand the context in which you work so that you're more intentional about these forces that are affecting how you do your job on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, the work group norms, the culture, the, the external environment, those things. If you're more understanding about how in, in general those things play out against all organizations, you'll be able to be more effective at your job. Um, and, 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 and that is most important when they're thinking about trying to institute new reforms or new laws or new practices into their, um, their organization. Shay, your work examines the ways we can learn through police data and make recommendations accordingly. Why do you think the considerable learnings of the criminal justice community, many of whom, like you, study the ways race intersects with gun violence, have not led to more effective practices that actually reduce this harm. Also, what are the primary hurdles as an educator? How do you try and equip your students with the tools to overcome them? Yeah, the first question is, is, is extremely important and, and very, very challenging to answer. The question about why do disparities in all walks of the justice system uh, exist from, from criminal victimization to sentencing practices and so on. Um, and it's obviously something that the field spends a lot of time, ex you know, researching. And, you know, my work was on disparities within gun violence. And, and the finding from that study highlights just how hard change really is because one of the biggest predictors of the disparity in gun violence is the degree of segregation in a state. Um, and that would be um, true, I'm sure, within cities or other kinds of geographic designations. But the, the states that have higher disparities in or higher segregation levels have higher disparities. And so when you ask, how do we change that? You know, it requires broad and significant change. I mean, you're talking about housing policy and economic policy and not just new gun laws, you know. Um, and 
In fact, other work that we've done looked at the, the, the disparate effect of gun laws, and there are certain laws that do have a larger impact on uh, reducing violence amongst uh, individuals of color than white individuals. And so some of those policy levers could counteract that disparity that exists because of the, the, the societal sort of structure that's driving it. Um, but until that societal structure changes, we're not likely to see huge changes in the disparities. And so that gets at part of what's so challenging about it. But, but I do think that within our field, you know, we are focused on educating, you know, future leaders and managers within the justice system. And so our approach is always to think, you know, we're not going to, you're not going to solve segregation, but you can, you, you can uh, implement uh, processes that can help take that into account. Like, for example, giving disenfranchised communities much more voice within the process of decision making within a law enforcement organization, for example, for example, so that they have much more control over that 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 agency and how it makes decisions. Um, uh, and, and and it just speaks to the complexity and then the entrenchment of the the disparities that exist in our society. Thank you for joining Met Makes Conversation a podcast in which thought leaders from across Boston University's Metropolitan College share perspectives on matters of the day. To learn more about upcoming guests, provide feedback, and even to suggest show topics, follow us at MetBU on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.